a really quick and exciting announcement to make. The Menopause and Cancer podcast is now also on YouTube, and I'm so excited that more people now get to watch our conversations. So the link to the YouTube channel is in our show notes. Please go and subscribe to the channel so that more people who need to hear our conversations are able to find them. Thank you. Hi, I'm Danny Bennington and welcome to my podcast. This podcast is for anyone who's been affected by cancer and menopause. I'll be speaking to special guests and menopause experts to help us find solutions to our symptoms and of course address the greater picture. We're going to talk about everything from mental health to physical health, sexual health to bone health and everything in between. Nothing is off limits. Welcome. Hello and welcome everyone to today's episode on the podcast. I'd love to discuss the use of antidepressants once we've had a cancer diagnosis and if we need treatment for the management of our menopausal symptoms. And antidepressants is something that comes up all the time. And of course, I've got an amazing guest speaker lined up for you who can share with us from her professional experience, what she knows about antidepressants, how effective they are, which ones to use, what amounts to use, and all of that. But before I welcome her in, I wanted to share with you some of the many stories that many women in my community tell me. One thing that I feel so fortunate about is the many honest conversations I get to have with women. And sometimes it's over a longer period of time. So in my programs, the Empowered Menopause Program for Women in Menopause After Cancer, for example, I spent about four months with women trying to help them navigate the medical system, forking out their own action plan. I asked them sometimes tricky questions so they can really rethink what's important for them and what do they need to address. Most of them tell me the feeling of overwhelm is real and it stops them from moving forward in any possible way. And so sometimes we take a few steps back. Along those many conversations, we always talk about the use of antidepressants because they come up with most cancer patients in different settings. And I'd like to share with you a little bit about sort of the evolution of what's happened here in our thought process. You'll all know that over the last two or three years, the normal menopause conversation has sort of exploded. We had fantastic celebrities like Davina McCall and Lisa Snowden take to social media, talk about their experience of perimenopause and menopause. We had fantastic menopause specialists and doctors also take to social media and to the news and help empower everyone to A, understand more about perimenopause and menopause and what symptoms can be treated and what the treatment options are. Now, I know a lot of you have also felt excluded from this greater menopause conversation, and I totally understand why. Part of this greater menopause revolution, like some people call it, has been talking about the use of antidepressants. What you have, would have heard and read in many newspaper articles is that antidepressants are not the first lane treatment for the treatment of menopausal mood disorders. And in fact, hormone replacement therapy is. And there's been a lot of backlash against GPs, and I really feel a lot of them have been given such a hard time. And I really do think that many of them are really trying to do their best with the time and the resources they have 
And yes, perhaps there can be more education and more sort of a prescribing guidelines for them. But I do think they've been given a really bad time. But what's come out of all of these conversations is that perhaps too many antidepressants have been prescribed when a woman was really suffering from the perimenopause or menopause and hormone replacement therapy should have been prescribed. So a lot of us who are after cancer would have tuned into this thinking, gosh, yes, so antidepressants are not the first line treatment. It's something you remember whether you want to or not. I know then that many of you have appointments with your own doctors, your medical team, that might be your GP, that might be a menopause specialist, and you might have spoken about antidepressants or they have been offered to you. Well, all of that chat over the last two or three years about antidepressants are not used for menopausal symptoms would have come to the forefront of your mind and you would have thought, no, I don't want to be fobbed off here. That's not right. There must be something else. And I have conversations like that week in, week out with women saying, but I thought they weren't right and now I've been offered them and I really don't want them because I didn't think they were right. And I think the most important message here is we need to differentiate ourselves and our treatment options once we've had a cancer diagnosis from those to a woman who enters perimenopause and menopause naturally, which is exactly the reason I've created the Menopause and Cancer podcast. Because we've got great podcasts out there about the menopause, but they don't directly speak to someone like me or you who's also had a cancer diagnosis. And so the first sort of message here is tune into the people and the resources and the guidance of experts that really know who they're talking to. And that is you who've had a cancer diagnosis and who is now suffering some of the symptoms of the menopause. That's the first thing I wanted to say. Then I have women who say, gosh, I've sort of had to work through this. I now understand antidepressants might be a really good treatment option for my mood disorders, or there might even be some side effects of the antidepressants that are beneficial to say my hot flushes or my overactive bladder. And we'll explore all of that when I bring my expert in. She can explain much more about how they can be used and what they're used for. And then women say, okay, I've then been prescribed the antidepressants, but they've been sitting on my bedside table for the best part of a month and I still haven't, I couldn't get myself overtaking them. And I wanted to mention this because it is so normal and so many women tell me that this is what's happening to them. You got yourself the help, you've been prescribed antidepressants and something is holding you back. And I'm not going to try and explain to you how to get over this or whether you should in fact even get over it. I just wanted to state this to say, this is absolutely normal. Some of you might be worried about the side effects of starting an antidepressant. What if you feel worse before you feel better? Some might worry about, well, how do I come off? I've heard weaning off an antidepressant can be really tough with loads of withdrawal symptoms, and you might be worried about that. In either of those cases, I think it would be a really decent and valid question to your medical professional, whoever prescribed you the antidepressant, you could ask. And some women have had great experience with antidepressants and others didn't. And some of them had to persevere and really try two or three different antidepressants before they found what works for them. And others tried for a few days 
had terrible side effects of getting on them and decided it wasn't for them. And then, of course, there is another group of women who feel that they've had so much medication pumped into them, so many other drugs, maybe chemotherapy, maybe radiotherapy, maybe you've had surgeries, you've been put under general anesthetics, and you feel the last thing you want is another drug, another medication, because you feel like you want to strip all of that out of your body. And again, I'm not trying to come up with solutions. I want to bring all of this here to you because I've you know, got the luxury and I'm so privileged to have hundreds of conversations with women about this topic and all the other topics we discuss on the podcast. I just want to share those with you so that if you are resonating with one of the things I've said, that you know you're not alone. I hope that makes a bit of sense and that brings a bit of context to the conversation. And now, um, yeah, let's get into the nitty gritty of it all. I'm so grateful that Dr. Addison Macbeth, who is a specialty breast doctor, has time to meet with us today because she better than anyone else knows what not only our thought processes are, but also what our worries are, because she runs a really busy NHS clinic and has done so for a long time. Dr. Macbeth runs a menopause clinic within breast services for breast cancer and family history of breast cancer patients with menopause or endocrine symptoms, either as a result of their treatment or simply because they've reached a natural menopause. And so She deals with patients every single day who've had a cancer diagnosis and who are now suffering debilitating symptoms of the menopause. And I love what Alison says. She said, I was inspired to start a menopause service within our NHS breast clinic after seeing patients who were now cancer free, but were suffering greatly from the menopausal side effects of treatment. I believe all women should be empowered to seek help and support including those who may previously have been told they could not have HRT. My approach is holistic and empathetic, and I'm committed to individualized care for every woman. And Alison's approach is holistic and empathetic, and she is just the most wonderful person. And I'm so grateful she's giving us her free time so that we can talk about the use of antidepressants and get into the nitty gritty of it. So I'm gonna welcome her in. Alison, welcome onto the podcast. (laughs) Hi, hi, lovely to be here. (laughs) We have just had a little chat and you have just told me that you are going to run your 18th marathon later this week. And I think this is amazing. (laughs) Well, it will be a very slow shuffle (laughs) because I've had COVID and untrained. But anyway, it's the getting out and doing it and exercising and just moving that counts. Amazing, your 18th and later this week. So thank you for having time to talk to us. Um, Lovely to be here. I've already introduced you. You run a family history and breast cancer service uh, unit. And you are also a specialty breast doctor. Is that how I best describe you? Yes. Yeah, that's what we're called in Scotland, specialty doctors and breast. Yeah. So before we get into the nitty gritty of talking about antidepressants in the use of managing menopausal symptoms, with a cancer diagnosis. Tell me a little bit about how your breast and menopause clinic works, because I feel yours is quite different. The services you provide are quite unique, aren't they? 
Well, so I used to be a GP and I guess in breast unit, I was getting referred to all the women that were having so many kind of endocrine problems. And I just thought we need to try and kind of help me, you know, work better here. So um, I decided to train as a menopause specialist so that I could then formally kind of start a, a formal menopause clinic within Brace Services. So that's what we've had up and running now for the past six months and really, really busy. But basically all of our patients in our unit have open access. And I think it's really important for the patients with breast cancer or family history of breast cancer to be able to access help quickly, especially the breast cancer patients having issues with their endocrine treatment, because there's no point in them sitting on a waiting list for 18 months. That's just that's just not, you know, they need help now. So we try and keep it as open access as possible. They don't even need a GP referral um, in to see us. We just try and fit them in in our weekly clinics and then as and when. I mean, this is really everyone's dream. And for anyone out there listening, thinking I'm on the waiting list to see a menopause specialist and it's at least 10 months if you're anywhere else in England, for example, then I think at the moment it's just to think for us, oh my gosh, these services do exist and there is hope that perhaps over the next few years, more services will implement a similar pathway to yours. So instead of thinking, oh, why haven't I got access to this service? Let's let there be hope that it's coming. Yeah, well, I think there's a few um, units just like mine in England. I know there's a fabulous service in Bath. I think uh, London, uh, I believe in Liverpool as well. And I believe Cardiff. And I'm sure there's far more that I that I don't know about. But there are certainly there are there are clinics out there, specific menopause clinics um, within brace services. Which is amazing, which is fantastic. So, Alison, let's talk about the role of antidepressants when you see women in your clinic in everyday life. Over the last few years, the menopause conversation has expanded into everyone's newspaper, into our sitting rooms. We've watched Davina McCall on the telly. And a lot of the conversation was that antidepressants aren't first-line treatment for the symptoms of menopause. Is this the same for us once we've had a cancer diagnosis or is there a differentiation? Do you use them? Which ones are helpful? Can we start? Really sure. So I think the issue is, yes, if you don't have breast cancer or a very high family history risk, then yes, uh, guidelines are, you know, antidepressants are not first line because as a GP initially, you know, years ago, especially when there was all the kind of WHI um, worries about breast cancer risk with HRT, then everybody used to dive straight for the, you know, the fluoxetine or sertraline antidepressants. And then it's really, uh, for women without breast cancer, it's really moved away from there. But when you have a history of breast cancer, especially hormone receptor positive breast cancer, then NICE guidelines and NHS guidelines are not to use hormone replacement therapy first line. So therefore, what you use. And so first line is actually diet and lifestyle, healthy diet and lifestyle. And so certainly my clinic and, and when you're having a discussion with women, that is your first line discussion. And then you go on to things like cognitive behavioral therapy, kind of yoga, meditation, that sort of thing. But then you get to medication and what can you use? And there are, there are several medications that you can use. And one of them is 
a few antidepressants. And I think the problem is that because women have heard that antidepressants aren't first line, then when you then offer them an antidepressant first line medication to use with a a history of breast cancer, they just feel quite let down, disappointed, not heard. I think some of sometimes they really feel that you're fobbing them off. And so it's it's really important to have the discussion, you know, look, I I am not diagnosing you with depression or, you know, we're not just just kind of giving you antidepressants to get you out the door. But certain antidepressants do have a real role to help with menopause symptoms if you don't want to use hormone replacement therapy. And I actually use two in my menopause clinic and they're actually very, very useful. So one is called venlafaxine, which is in high doses, it's an anti-anxiety and antidepressant in high doses. You're talking kind of 150 to 300 milligrams a day. But actually in very, very low dose, it is licensed to use for menopause symptoms in women who have had breast cancer. And it's actually very, very useful. And in those very, very low doses, it works very well for the kind of anxiety and the low mood and the mood swings that you'll get with menopause. It's also licensed to help with flushes and it works very well for flushes and it works very well for joint pains. And it kind of just kind of takes away the anxiety. So that would be my first line medication that I would use in a lady that has flushes, joint pains, mood swings, but just at low dose, 37.5. And if you are using low doses like that, you tend not to get the kind of awful side effects that you do with the high doses. So kind of high doses, it can give you headache and nausea and stomach problems and weight gain. Weight gain is, is, is one of the biggest problems with antidepressants. You really can pile the weight on with it. And these women are having such a, a you know, hard hard job with their weight anyway, because, you know, we're treating them for breast cancer usually and they're blocking their hormones. And so that makes them put the weight on and so we, the last thing we want to do is give them something that's going to make it make their weight gain worse it's a difficult conversation to have in your head isn't it because you think yeah. by the time I get to see someone like you and many women would have waited for a long time for their appointment you don't get to see this person I know we put so much hope onto your appointments because they're so hard to come by and often we didn't even know your services existed in the first place mm-hmm. And then to think, but I'm not depressed. I've had a really difficult time. I've had surgery, I've had treatment. I'm now maybe a few months, a few years sometimes down the line. I know I'm not depressed. This is because I'm on anti-endocrine treatment or because I might've been put into surgical menopause or for whatever reason we're there then to meet you. It's really hard to get your head around that an antidepressant can help for the individual symptoms of the menopause. Yeah. And women feel a little bit like you want to fob them off, but I know you don't, but I understand it's a difficult chat to have. Yeah, I mean, I think you absolutely can't say, okay, these are your symptoms, take this because you know it is uh, in high doses anti-anxiety antidepressant and I always say look you know you're not depressed your symptoms are down to usually a combination of your your treatment and the fact that you're either naturally become menopausal or we have made you perimenopausal or menopausal and so you're having this whole combination of, of symptoms and what we're giving you we're actually you know we're not treating it's not a high enough dose to be an anti-anxiety antidepressant we're using these tiny tiny wee doses for menopause symptoms and I you know I really say look you are not depressed 
we are using this for symptoms and, you know, really trying to reassure you that the patient that we're not just trying to fob them off with antidepressants. And actually the venlafaxine works really well. And those tiny, tiny doses, 37.5 to 75 milligrams, I tend never to go any higher. So you know, even a 75 is kind of half the dose that you would generally use as an anti-anxiety antidepressant. Let's talk about the things that could go wrong and how we can troubleshoot. I know women who've gone on venlafaxine and it's really worked really well for them. And mm -hmm. I also know a lady who's gone on it and she had terrible side effects. Yeah. What can we tinker with and how much room is there to tinker with this medication before we give up? Or how long do we need to persevere until you think maybe we need to try something else? I mean, it's not for ever, everyone. And, and it's the same with any medication. It's not for everyone. I usually say, look, try a three month trial. And I always start low and go slow. That's my mantra with pretty much everything. So I always start at 37.5 and I wouldn't change anything for three months. And then if it's not worked, I'd go up to 75 for another three months. But if they're having horrendous side effects, sometimes you can use alternate days. Um, and just try that for three months and just really, really go slow. But it isn't for everybody. So if it's just not working, then we stop it and we change to something else. And there's so many things that we can try as well. So I find with the Femifaxi, if it's just not working, switch to something called escitalopram. And that, again, works very well for menopause symptoms and low doses. And again, I would just start the lowest dose possible, the five milligrams, and just try it. And again, the acetalopram should help with the kind of the flushes, the anxiety, the joint pains. Unfortunately, the antidepressants don't really do terribly much for the kind of the brain fog or the fatigue. And sometimes they can make the fatigue worse. But sometimes the venlafaxine can actually make the fatigue better. I think the thing is that everybody reacts differently to medication. And so it's giving it a try, trialing it for three months and always leaving the door open for the women to come back and say, look, A, this is great or B, this just isn't working for me. I just don't like the thought of this and then trying something else. What's so difficult as well is that often we get to this stage into beyond our active cancer treatment when it's finished. And many women don't actually want to take medication because we feel yeah. we've had so much put into ourselves, whether that's chemo or surgery and anesthetics. And it's a mindset that we that needs discussing. Do you have time to discuss these things in clinic? So I'm I'm really lucky. I do because my points are 40 minutes. And so it just we literally go over everything. And then again, it's follow ups and 40 minute follow ups every three months. So I'm lucky. And I, I when I set the clinic up, I said, look, we need to have the time because there's no point in doing this if you're not going to give the women the time. You can't do it in 10 minutes. And I feel really sorry for GPs trying to there's no way you can possibly do it in 10 minutes. It's such a conversation about going over all the symptoms and, and literally just giving the women time to talk and acknowledge the fact that she is struggling. And often women feel like they are they're failing because they've they've done all their treatment and they've they've got through their treatment and they feel that they now have finished their treatment and should be moving on. But often that is the time they really plummet because it, everything's been so focused, get them through the acute treatment. And then it's, it's often a bit of an anticlimax. And then they usually get discharged from breast clinic for annual mammograms. And that's the only contact they get. And so their, their mood plummets or their 
their menopause symptoms kick in and they often feel that they've literally nobody to turn to. So, you know, actually half the treatment is just giving the women some time to talk, acknowledge her symptoms. And, you know, a lot of it is actually just lifestyle advice, listening, and actually a few tweaks and a few smallest tweaks sometimes can make the biggest difference. Wow. And you really feel that with the use of antidepressants, you can really improve someone's quality of life. I mean, you see hundreds of patients. Do you feel it's worth to give them a shot? Yes, absolutely. I feel that for me, in my experience, the venlafaxine is the one that certainly works the best, followed by the escitalopram. I always stay away from things like fluoxetine or peroxetine because you can't use them with tamoxifen. They interact. And so even if the woman isn't on tamoxifen, she might be switched on to tamoxifen. So it's, it's literally best to avoid them. And, and to be honest, those two don't really work particularly well for menopause symptoms. And you tend to pile away on with them. High dose sertraline, best avoided as well. That high dose sertraline will interact with tamoxifen. So best avoided. Um, so your safest ones are definitely your venlafaxine and your escitalopram. And if you're on tamoxifen, they're perfectly safe and they, they won't interact. They won't reduce the efficiency of the, the tamoxifen. So if anyone is listening to this at home thinking, well, maybe I want to try this and I haven't got access to a menopause specialist at the moment. I'm not even on the waiting list for someone. I've had a history of cancer. I was told maybe no to hormone replacement therapy by my oncology team. Maybe I should give it a go. Do we have to go through a menopause specialist or could we have this conversation with the GP as well? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I would do is um, the British Menopause Society, their website has got a good kind of non-hormonal options for menopause symptoms. And the patient arm of the British Menopause Society is the Women's Health Concern. And so you can access that and it gives you access to to the non-hormonal treatments and it lists them all even if the, the woman struggles to access that, you can go and have a conversation with your GP and the GP can access the British Menopause Society website. And it, it, there's a really, really good kind of leaflet all about non-hormonal options. Um, and so, yes, it does, women does not need to go to a menopause specialist for that. That's really helpful. Thank you, Alison. Is there anything do you think we have missed of this short conversation but really to the point because it comes up so often in conversation and there is so much resistance and I feel we really need to talk about it more so that we understand why are we resisting or what information are we lacking and is that the reason why we haven't tried it before maybe? Yeah I think that there's a lot of resistance simply because I think women misunderstand um, why we're giving the the kind of the low dose and they think they're being understandably they think they're being fobbed off with an antidepressant we're telling they're depressed because that's what happened in the old days but that's not what we're doing we're using much much lower doses at menopause symptom doses so you know it's like using a medication um you know medications can have you know three four different uses and so uh, you know you're you're using an antidepressant but not on antidepressant doses you're using it at menopause doses for menopause symptoms so I, I really hope the women feel reassured that we're not fobbing them off and just saying here take this antidepressant off you go we're trying to treat their symptoms safely with 
the medication that's got the best evidence and, and probably the least side effects and the safest one with regards to interactions. And it's certainly worth, worth a try. How long, Alison, would people then try and stay on this medication? How, what do you usually... So if it works, yeah, if it works for you, then stay in the lowest dose possible. I actually had this conversation today with a patient. She asked me because she felt so much better in the 37.5. She said, "How, how long should I take this? And I said, well, try it for a year. See how you get on. If you're feeling well after a year, maybe try coming off it. See how you go. If you come off it, your symptoms return, just go back on it. If your symptoms don't return, then stay stay off it. I, I think my feeling is lowest dose is the best dose that controls your symptoms. Um, so, you know, if you're feeling great, the 37.5, if it works, then, you know, try it for a year and then and then try try a, a trial without it but don't if your symptoms return it's absolutely fine to go back on it there's no long-term issues with venlafaxine uh, um, or the escitalopram the, the other thing though i would say is you know there are other non-hormonal alternatives as well so they're not just antidepressants but antidepressant wise they're they're the top two you know what I, I loved about this conversation is a little bit earlier on, about 10 minutes in, I guess, he said, there are so many things we can try. And I was thinking to myself, really, are there? <laughs> because I feel like the majority of us think there's nothing we can do. We've been plummeted into this terrible state, this menopause after cancer, and we feel like we have no options. But I'm slowly, slowly discovering by talking to many more of you amazing experts that we do have options. But they're not straightforward options, even like with the antidepressants, you describe, you're prescribing them without us being depressed. And so even the label, mm -hmm. if they were called something else, that would help. Like if you can just put a sticker on the box <laughs> and call yes. it something else, that would help. <laughs> I, I Absolutely. I think that's half the battle because you, um, as I say to all my patients, throw out the patient information leaflet. I probably shouldn't say that. I probably shouldn't say that, but I do. Because you get the information leaflet and it lists every single side effect known to man and it's and big bold letters, anti-anxiety, antidepressant. But, uh, but that is in those high doses and most of the side effects are in those high doses. So uh, just chuck the information leaf out <laughs> and just... <laughs> <laughs> and just try that wee low dose and just try it for three months because you've nothing to lose yeah and, and everything always, to gain and I always say when I speak to people shall we try everything possible so that when we look back at whatever stage that is in our life we think we've given it our best shot we've tried everything and we have at least explored all of the options out there if none of them work you're none the wiser but the possibility that something will stick and works is really high, isn't it? And so, yeah, everything is worth a try. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of the time it's just taking the time to go through the options. And also, I always say, try one thing at a time, because if you make too many changes or try too many things, you won't know what works. So just try one thing at a time, try it for three months and then either up the doors or switch to something else. And it, it's okay to say, look, this, this isn't working for me or I don't like taking this or to come back for another chat because sometimes, you know, family members will say, oh, why are you taking antidepressant? And so sometimes just need to come back for another chat, uh, more reassurance, and then they're happy to try it again. Thank you for that. It sounds and like the door is always open. <laughs> I, I try. <laughs>
<laughs> and the other thing is you're at diff- everyone's in a different stage of their life so what might not have worked straight after their treatment might well work a year down the line Thank you so much, Alison. I hope for anyone listening to this, it brought a little bit of clarity into the use of antidepressants. And um, we're wishing you lots of luck, right? Everyone listening, thinking, is this for me? Fingers crossed for you that it may work really well. <laughs> Thank you, Alison. Thanks. Gosh, isn't Alison amazing and so clear and so compassionate and I wish she was everyone's doctor um, out there. I think it's amazing what they've managed to do in Scotland, in Glasgow, in with the open access clinic. And so, yeah, I think there is so much hope into what Alison is saying, so many possibilities, and she's so keen to help women have a just better quality of life. And with all of the stories I mentioned before Alison joined us and with all of Alison's explanation now, I hope it clarified if you had questions around the use of antidepressants for you at home. I'm sure maybe that when you have conversations with your doctors that you can make more informed decisions with a little bit of background information or you can ask different questions now because you've heard Dr. Alison Macbeth talk about what she does in her busy NHS clinic and that might just help you open up a conversation with your doctor. For me it's really important that we talk about it all and that we lift and drop a little bit of that stigma really. I think one of the things when I look back at my whole journey of breast cancer I wish that in the early maybe two or three years after my initial diagnosis I would have had the courage and the knowledge and the education to try an antidepressant. I knew I wasn't depressed and so I never thought antidepressants were for me. I never had the conversation with anyone about anti-anxiety medication. I didn't think antidepressants could help with my crippling anxiety. And although I had counselling and I drew on other tools, I don't think I was ever clear with my healthcare professionals, my GP, my breast care nurses, my oncologist, how crippling my anxiety was and how limited my quality of life was and how on edge I always was and how often I had a panic attack and how it really stopped me from living in a way and looking back that makes me feel sad because there's so many moments I can't remember almost because I know I wasn't present. I was in this heightened state of fear. And so for myself, I wish I had known more, asked more questions and maybe communicated more. I think partly a doctor couldn't have helped me because I didn't say what was going on. Um, I didn't tune into podcasts like these then that could have given me ideas of what to ask for. But I think looking back now, I often wish I had. I think this is the one key component in my care where I think now I could have taken the edge off and it could have just calmed my anxiety a little bit. Yeah, and I just thought I'll end our podcast today with sharing this. It's been a longer session I hope it's been helpful, useful. If it's thrown up more questions for you that you can discuss with your healthcare professionals, I think that's great. Wishing you all the best. And I hope you tune into next week's episode again. 
if you can it would be amazing if you could rate and review the podcast because if you do that helps other people find our sessions and it would be great for the right person to tune into our content wishing you a great day and hope to catch up with you soon bye